Wow, that was great. Glad that you're here this morning. It's hard not to be full of energy after that song. That was wonderful. Thank you very much. So we kind of now we have the downer of the sermon, right? So it is an honor to be here today, and I realize today is a special day for Robin and his family, and of course, I don't want to take anything away from that at all and, and appreciate you and appreciate your work and know you're going to do great things in Memphis as well. If you came in late, my name is David Duncan. I preach for the Memorial Church of Christ in Houston. Been there a long time. I've never gone on Sunday, so everyone is really worried. Why are you gone today? Actually, they're really excited that I'm gone today. Uh, Brad has been a good friend of mine for a long time, for many years, and he asked me to come today while he's gone. And I know that he is the king of props. I mean, he always talks about these stage things he builds, and I don't do very many of those. And, and he gave me Sabbath. And I mean, what do you do with the, with the topic of Sabbath? I thought, maybe I could bring a lazy boy recliner. You know, maybe that would work. And I could just preach from that. And I guess if you have a sermon on Sabbath, this is the, the one free ticket that you have to take a nap during church today since that's our topic. No, I hope you'll stay awake with me for just a little bit, and this idea of keeping the Sabbath day holy, and the idea of the Ten Commandments that you've been studying here for a while and will continue to do. We have a lot of tired folks in the world these days. You know, some of you, I'm guessing, are tired. You would think from staying at home during the pandemic that you would be wide awake and everything would be great, but instead, what research has said is that people have worked more during the pandemic than they worked before because you're at home and you're not leaving and so you just keep working on projects for many people and instead of it being easier it's been more difficult in some ways and the stress level has been difficult as well because we've gone through this time of not knowing when it was going to be over not knowing what would happen with our job not knowing what would happen with the stock market not knowing about our health or our parents health or our kids health or whoever else and the stress has just mounted and people are tired I can remember shortly after 9-11 it probably would have been about 9-14 or 15 when the man on the national news said America is tired because America was tired We'd stayed up all night watching the news, trying to figure out who had done what and what we were going to do to respond, and we were exhausted people. And so today we talk about this very ancient idea of keeping the Sabbath day holy and what does it mean to Sabbath. And, and let me tell you today, because I have, to, I have to be right up front with you, I am not good at what I'm preaching today. This sermon is for me as much as it is for you. I grew up in a, in a time with wonderful, God-loving parents, and I'm so thankful for them. But I'll tell you what got kudos was not taking a nap, but it was working hard and working a lot. And so we didn't have a lot, but we wanted to make sure that people knew that we weren't, we weren't poor because, because we were lazy. And we didn't want people to think that we weren't, just because we weren't the smartest people, it wasn't because we were lazy. So we honor work, and work should be honored. Don't misunderstand me. But it turned into overwork. And one of the hardest things in my life is to stop. 
It is so hard to just stop. I came up yesterday afternoon and I said to my wife, you know, I'm going to go early so I can work on some sermons for the future. Then I said, wait a minute. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stop because I've got to get up the next day and preach on Sabbath. So at least I'm going to do it once, right? Monster.com tells us that 95% of people right now are thinking about quitting their jobs or changing jobs. 95% have that idea going through their minds, maybe I ought to do something different. Well, I want to take us back today at what God called us to be. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you know what the Bible says. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had, finished, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So this is the way it was in the beginning. And you know this story, you've read this story. If not, go back and read it right now in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2 that you also probably remember how that sequence of days goes and how everything was ordered and how the Bible always uses that interesting phrase, there was evening and there was day, the first day. There was evening and there was day, the second day. Except until we get to the seventh day, there is no evening day language. Now that's kind of interesting. It's as if maybe that seventh day was supposed to keep going because you don't see that kind of wording in that one passage there. You also may know if you've done a little bit of study on your own or listened to some podcasts or whatever, that the word Sabbath is the word Shabbat. Maybe you have some Jewish friends or or Messianic Jewish friends that talk about Shabbat, which is Sabbath, which is the idea of stop working. Just stop. And so on that seventh day, what God did was he stopped working. It didn't mean he went to another job. It meant that he stopped working. It didn't mean that he said, okay, now that I've done all that, I'm going to do... No, he stopped working for that time. There is also another interesting Hebrew word here, and I'm not really into lots of lots of Greek words and Hebrew words. You know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek, and I don't usually use a lot of words when I preach and and I'll tell you where I got these. I got them from a, a, a version of the Bible. You may know the GIV, the Google International Version. You can just Google, okay? But that word is nuach. And nuach is the idea to live or to dwell. And what God was doing was saying that he wanted to be with us when there was no work and we would live and dwell together, that those two words often go together. And that's exactly what you see with Adam and Eve in this time of rest, that they are dwelling with God. We were intended to dwell in the rest of God. But You know, we think about so much work to do, and there's so much work to do when you're a part of a church, and you think about, we have this ministry and that ministry we want to be a part of, and this mission trip and that one, and we want to feed the homeless and clothe the people in need, and we want to help. Well, yes, we need to do all of those things, absolutely. But we also cannot forget the importance of rest. 
because sometimes we work so much we make ourselves look silly. There's a writer by the name of Lily Guild that tells a story that one day she was, this was several years ago, she was riding with her husband. They were in their car and they were going along the road and they saw a stranded car on the side of the road. It was a brand new car. It looked like it was a Cadillac. And there was a man there dressed in a suit standing by his car. And, and they, so they stopped. And they said, are you okay? What happened? And he said, well, I'm embarrassed to tell you what happened. He said, this morning, I had this really important meeting. I knew I didn't have much gas, but I thought probably I had enough gas to get to the meeting. And so he said, but I didn't, so I didn't go to the gas station, and now I've run out of gas on the way to this important meeting. Well, they said, you are in luck because we carry a gallon gas can in, our, in the back of our car, and so they filled up his car with a gallon of gas. He was so thankful to them. He said, thank you so much. They said, there is a gas station two miles down this road. Just stop at that gas station. Thank you very much. And so they go on, do an errand or two, and then they go down that road. Exactly 12 miles down the road, they found that man on the side of the road again. And they stopped, are you okay? He said, well, I didn't stop at the gas station. I thought I could go ahead and make it. And now he's run out of gas again. You know what that's like in life? Have any of you ever done that? You had the opportunity for rest and you didn't take it? And so you don't do, maybe you never arrive at where you intend to arrive in life because you haven't rested to stop and do better than what you could. Or maybe it is that the performance that you, that you end up giving is, is awful because you're so tired you don't take advantage of what God has given you and what God had ordained. We were intended to dwell in the rest of God. But you know that that relationship was muddled by sin you know when that happened, when, when Eve was talking to that serpent? And you remember that serpent came to Eve, and I told my wife one night, I said, I'm kind of a dad joke guy, you know, you have to be. And so, if you're a preacher, because you're always looking for something, right? And so, I told my wife one night, I said, you know, if what, what person or being in the Bible would have a show on HGTV, do you think? He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I think it would be the serpent. She said, the serpent, why? I said, because the Bible says he was the craftiest of all the animals. <laughs> so sorry. That is a groaner, but it's okay. I tell people, lower your standard on humor. It's good for your heart. You'll live longer. <laughs> but you remember that the serpent came to Eve, and you remember Adam was right there with her. He's no better than she is. And you remember that they eat that fruit exactly what God had said not to do and sin enters the world and it messes up that relationship that God had it didn't just mess up the relationship but you may remember what happened you remember that part of that of, of what was told of them through that curse of what would happen to the to the snake would crawl on his belly and then what it said to the woman that there would be pain in childbirth and then to to the man it says you will work in the field and there will be thorns in the field that there would be all these Things that come, work would come because of sin. And now that rest of dwelling with God would be gone. And pain and thorns became the norm. Now this is just the way it is. And if you spend much time outside and fields or off places, you know about, 
about stickers and thorns and goat heads and get those things on your feet and they wrap around your ankles. You know what I'm talking about. But that's the way the world would be because of sin and now that rest is somehow messed up. So you remember eventually God's nation comes and it comes through Abraham and Sarah and you remember finally, finally great things happen and the nation grows but then they end up becoming slaves in Egypt and finally they're allowed to leave Egypt. You know the story and God gave his people commands. And we get to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, not even your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and that that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Well, you know also what happened there. That they, he gave this command, but they often were lax in their relationship with Yahweh. You know that the Sabbath is still a big thing for some people among Jewish in the Jewish community, not with all in the Jewish community, but with some. Back seven or eight years ago, we did a little very minor remodeling in our kitchen, and we bought a new oven. And I can remember my wife reading through the book, because I would never read through a guidebook. I just put punch buttons. But she read all through the instruction book. And believe it or not, our oven, made by Whirlpool, has a Sabbath setting on it. Amazing. I was like, you're joking. I said, we have a religious oven. I had no idea. <laughs> and so it's an important thing, even today, this idea, at least to some, about rest. But Israel was lax in their relationship with Yahweh. They thought that they could toy with, with God. They thought, you know, we'll just keep God kind of on the side, but we're going to do other things, and we're going to worship other gods, and we'll still have God, but we're going to have other gods. Whenever you read those passages in the Old Testament about the high places, what was happening up on the high places was worship to other gods. Whenever you read about that Asherah pole, that was worship to another god, and we won't even go into what kind of god that was. I mean, they were worshiping all kinds of things and lax in that relationship with him. You know, we'll just kind of toy with God. We'll kind of amuse God. Is it any different than what people do today? Maybe you show up on Sunday, but hey, I am waiting because I've got a full day of doing stuff that I don't want church people to know about. You know what I'm talking about? We toy with God sometimes. Or how about that interesting phrase sometimes people use? You know, I've got this, I've got this deal with God. I've, I made this deal with God. Really, what did he say back to you? Because God has explained himself fairly well to his people over the years. I can't toy with God. I'm not the one to make, make the conditions of our deal. God is God. God is Yahweh. He's the creator and sustainer of the world. That's not my job. I'm not the one to do, to do that. I may be his son. I may be, I may be able to call him my Abba and, and have this great relationship. But God is still God in the, in the end, you may know what happened in Ezekiel chapter 20. God is very frustrated with his people 
In verses 12 and 13, it says, Yet the people of Israel rebelled to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load. As you come through the, uh, excuse me, I'm reading the right verse. I thought I was on the, on the, I'm on the wrong verse. Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees, but they rejected my laws by which the person who obeys them will live, and they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. You see, they didn't take God seriously when he told them specifically to rest on that seventh day. They didn't listen to what God wanted. They did what they wanted. So in Jeremiah 17, verse 27, God said, but if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, <coughs> excuse me, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. God says, do what I say or else. Those are tough words from God. This is often not the God that we like to, that we like to present to the kindergarten class. But this is what God says. God says, listen to me and rest. When I say it, rest. And so today we may not be that it's all about the seventh day, but that concept of rest is still there. When I was a little boy, I would, uh, I would get upset sometimes. And, and, and I, was, I was really never a little boy. I was just like shorter and younger. And so... I'd get all upset, and my mom would say, I know somebody who needs a nap. And what I was thinking in my head was, see you later, you go take a nap. That was not what I said, though. She'd say, I know somebody who needs a nap. And I'd be all mad, and she'd make me go to my room, and I'd storm off, and eventually I would fall asleep there on my bed, and I would wake up, and I'd be all happy. And she'd say, oh, see there, I told you a nap would do you good. And I'd go, no, I'm still the same, just as I was. When the case was, I was better because I took a nap, right? There is something about resting that helps all of us. It helps us in our marriages. It helps us between children and, and, and parents. It helps us in our work life. It helps us in, in every facet of life if we will take some time to rest. When I was in, in college, I went to Oklahoma Christian and had a professor there in the, in the first week before you even start school in those days. You would take this class about how to study with a man named Stafford North. He taught there for over 50 years. And one of the things I remember in that class on how to study was he would say, study for 45 minutes hard and then take a 15-minute break. And I was like, why would you do that? He said, you have license to take 15 minutes after you study 45 minutes. I have kept up with that most of my life because it's now I don't feel guilty. Now I stay on, on task. Our youngest daughter, Emma, was one of those casualties. She just graduated from college. She was one of those casualties of, of the pandemic she had a great job with the marketing company before it ever even started. They said, we can't hire you. We said we'd hire you, but now we can't. She didn't know what she was going to do. She, had three, she did three jobs in order to pay her rent. And one of her friends said, you know, you like to argue so much. Why don't you go to law school? So now she's about to start law school at the University of Oklahoma. And she asked one of her friends, 
how do you study? Because I hear it's so hard, and the worst year of your life is that first year. And he said, I treat it like a nine-to-five job. He said, I only study. I don't go to lunch with anyone. I don't go to the store. I don't look at Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever else between nine and five. It is all study. And then I can let my mind think about other things. Wow, that may be a great way to go to law school, but do you see the biblical concept in this? About finding a time to rest. So you may be saying, well, what's, what's the big deal with all this? Well, the purpose God had in all this is protection. It is to protect us so that we will do our best, so that we will be people who are able to function in a way that, that is proper and in a way that we will treat people better than if we're all upset because we haven't had a nap. It is God protecting us so that we will be better than what we would be otherwise. But a biblical Sabbath is not just about going fishing. It may include fishing. A biblical Sabbath is not about sitting down and watching the, the cowboys. That sometimes is work, right? It's not about just watching the cowboys. It's maybe, but it's about more than that. You see, the purpose of a Sabbath is to remember our relationship with God and each other. That what I'm doing in that time is praising God and thanking God for that relationship. So I could be in a boat and could be fishing and it could even be with another person and in my mind or in my conversation saying, Lord, thank you for your blessings. I can see your greatness in this lake. I can see your greatness in the stars. I can see how wonderful and powerful and majestic you are. It's about remembering the relationship so we stop. In some way, obviously it's different, but in some ways it's like a couple who is going this way and that way and this way and that way and he works here and she works there and they, never, and they have the kids and they never take time for a date night. And how important the date night is for the couple. One of the things we do at the congregation where I'm at at Memorial in Houston is every year... We have a huge marriage retreat. And what I mean by a huge retreat is we have about 120 couples go. We go down to Galveston, and on, it starts on Friday, and it's over on Sunday morning. And Friday night, there are no there's no class or speech. On Saturday morning, all morning, 9 to 12, you will have speeches. On Saturday night, there will be one talk. Sunday morning, there will be one talk. It is built in for free time at Friday night, uh, noon to 6, free time. Sunday after the service, free time. And the church covers over 50%, about 70% of that weekend for each couple. Because we found most couples, or many couples, never spend any time just with other Christians couples without kids or don't spend time just focusing on each other we have found it is one of the greatest investments we have ever made not just for our couples but for our congregation 
Because marriages have started staying together better than they ever did before. It's the idea of rest and refocus. And so it's us with God refocusing and saying that God is the one that we need and saying we love God. We remember that we're set apart, that we're different. We have this relationship with God. And so we gain our focus. But I'm guessing you have the same problem I have. Rest is a disruption. It's an interruption. It means now I've got to stop doing what I was doing. Well, I was working on this, and so I just want to finish it. And when I finish it, then I'll rest. But the problem is when I finish it, then I've got something else to do. And so I never stop and realize the importance of communing with God. And let me tell you, working on a sermon is not necessarily communing with God. While they may seem like they do have overlap, it is not the same thing as stopping and having a time with God. I want you to consider what most of us are. This was a survey taken of Christians. 14% set aside a day without work. 14% of Christians. And then, and I think this is interesting, they say without work, but 19% of the 14%, that means a little tiny number, okay? Do no work at all. 21% say that they have time with God each day. 12% have activities for recharging. So maybe that means in the morning you have a little bit of Sabbath. You get up with your Bible, maybe you listen to a podcast and you pray and you, or you go outside and you sit. What my wife does is she goes outside and she sits and looks under our huge oak tree and watches, watches the, the squirrels play in the tree. At night these days what we do, and I sound like, like I'm getting to be an old man, we go on a walk, there's a little creek behind our house, and we look at all the different waterfowl and wonder what they're all called. But we do it almost every night. And we watch those birds. And we talk about God's majesty and how he created them and how beautiful they are and how God has given us such a gift because neither one of us had anything like that growing up, to see something like that. You see, those are activities for recharging. I hear some moms say the only place they can go is to the bathroom and close the door, right? That can be for recharging wherever it is about focusing on God, not just ourselves, but on God. Now here's what makes Jesus so special. It's that Jesus brings true rest. If you are looking for rest, this is the place where it is. In Matthew chapter 11, in verses 28 through 30, Jesus talking to an audience. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all of you who are burnt out, tired, ready to quit, throw in the towel, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's some things you've got to see, though, that come with rest. There is a yoke to put on. It's not a yoke like what you've been wearing, but there is a yoke to put on. And what that yoke does is it turns us from the right to the left or the left to the right. That yoke is turning us because we're letting Jesus guide us. That we let him be the one 
to do that. When you come to Jesus for rest, you have to have an open mind. Because he said, you're there to learn from me, not to tell me, but you're there to learn from me so that I can share and guide you to those green paths and to that quiet water, that that's what Jesus does with that rest. And I like what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11 says. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter the, that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. When I rest, I look like God. When I don't rest, I end up being disobedient. That makes me want to find a place for rest. Because I want to be like God. Now, now it's important to work. This is not... This is not all at once we have a ticket now. Oh, I don't need to do anything. No, I need to work. But I also need to rest. And in my rest, I honor God. So a question I want you to go home with today and I want you to think about is, do I have rest? Do I have a place where I rest? Do I have, an, have a, a regiment where I rest? Think about a story I read about Sam Plimsoll, who was British, lived in the 19th century, and he was a politician, and in those days, a Christian politician, but in those days, they, they started in, uh, insuring cargo on ships and insuring ships. It was a new thing. Didn't have Geico, I guess, in those days to save you however much money, 15% on your, on your ship insurance. And so what they did was they... They started insuring boats, and that's where the phrase coffin ships came from because what owners were doing is they were not filling those ships just to the top. They were filling them three and four and five times as high as they could go and as heavy as they could go, and what would happen is those ships would sink. And those dishonest owners of the ships who weren't even on the ships, they would collect all that insurance money. And Sam Plimsoll said, that obviously is not right. We've got to do something about it. And so, so he came up with a line that would be drawn around the ship where it would be determined how heavy it could be in the water and safely sail. He's the one, who came, it was about 18, 1873 or 1878 when he did that. That line is called the Plimsoll line, named after him. So a ship would know how much it could take before it was overloaded. Do you have that kind of line in your head? And maybe that's a line that you don't need to draw, but your spouse needs to draw, or your kids need to draw, or someone else important to you, a friend, needs to draw for you. When is it that I become overloaded? Jesus says, I can give you rest, but you've got to give it to me. You've got to give me your load. I will carry your load. Galatians talks about the importance of Christians carrying each other's loads when we get overloaded, but not for the purpose of us staying overloaded, but so we'll do better. Do I have rest? Well, what I pray is, is that you do, and if not, you will find it. 
a rest that God calls us to. And maybe some of you are ready to be baptized into Christ just like this young woman was today. You know, preachers like people to be baptized after the sermon so they can take credit, right? (laughs) I'm just joking, just joking. Anytime is good. But maybe you're ready to give everything to God and he obliterates the sin that you've been carrying around, gets rid of it. And in its place, it gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your need this morning, come as we stand and sing.